0: Welcome to the Riverdale Writers Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll re-watch the series, write our own version of season seven, and then compare our creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy, or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale writer's room.
1: There is no single way to tell a story. You reach to write your own version of the ending in whatever style you choose. Best story wins, challenge accepted.
0: Hello, welcome. Hello, we
1: are here to talk about season five.
0: And boy, are we excited.
1: What a season it was.
0: (laughs) It was a season. It was a good season. It was a season. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it was a little bit confused about what it wanted to be and what the future of the show is. Oh, absolutely. How else would you explain the three filler episodes of Hiram's backstory, the Pussycats, and um, the painting? Oh, the painting three-fur? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was a four-fur, I think. No, it was was a three-fur. With an overarching fourth plot of Cheryl hooking up with another hot person. We've done three-fur episodes before in other seasons, though. That's true. And they always feel like a filler. Or like a, here's what you missed on Glee kind of thing. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Should we quickly discuss what overall happens in the season? And then we can get into characters? We can try. So the beginning of season five
1: actually starts with what would have been the ending of season four due to COVID. The last three episodes were interrupted. So the end of season four takes place in 2020. And the first three episodes of season five take place coming up into the summer of 2020. And then we jump ahead for the rest of the season to the year 2027. They got the order from Hollywood (laughs) to shut down (laughs) filming. I think there was a COVID infection on set, actually. Interesting. I think they
0: were one of the first productions to shut down. Fascinating. Um, Speaking of, there was a moment that I noticed where the audio felt like maybe people couldn't be in the same room at the same time whether that be because of COVID or not. It was a scene where Veronica and Archie were mid-breakup at the end of the season, and it sounded like Archie was in a lower quality room reading his lines, like he could have been in front of a green screen. And the same thing happened on an episode of Sabrina, which I think was also filmed right up until the end of, right before the shutdown. So it's possible that someone got COVID and they were still trying to like film, but like in a weird, you're in a different room kind of situation or like filming one at a time. I don't know. It was weird. Very interesting. There also were a lot of Zoom calls. You're right. And Skype calls, which
1: we will talk about later. One more thing I want to talk about for COVID before we move on is the fact that after Hiram sends in all of the criminals from his jail to destroy Riverdale High, Alice looks around and she says, well, I guess it's back to virtual learning. I hate that. Which is not a thing in the Riverdale universe if summer 2020 is normal. You're right. Also, it's been seven years. Are we still going to be saying
0: stuff like that in 2027? If assuming COVID happened in 2020 that summer for the characters, you're right, it would be weird to be saying it later as if it was a recent memory. That, I think, was a little flop of the writing. Another thing related to COVID is I have a note here from chapter 93, the third to last episode, where I wrote back in the minds, it sounds hella covid Archie hallucinating his friends from war, Cheryl doing magic, etc., um, everyone is, like, coughing like crazy, but it's, like, a wheezy cough that made me believe all of these actors could have recently had COVID and are just, like, not acting. <laughs> anyway, that's a silly little note.
1: Me, personally, I have a lot of beef with the inconsistencies this season. And there have been inconsistencies before, like Sheriff Mineta. <laughs> but this season, I have an entire list
0: of inconsistencies I noticed. Oh, th- Really?
1: Yes. Have I you- didn't
0: know you were taking a l- note of the inconsistencies. I just like made small notes inside of my main notes, but I wasn't trying to notice them. I made a list as I reread my main notes. Amazing. Please tell me the inconsistencies.
1: Well, while we're on the COVID thing and the timeline thing, I think it's important to point out that it's 2027 and there are no advances in technology at all.
0: You're right. There is a scene where during one of the musical numbers where Kevin is sitting in the diner and I think Tabitha is serving him and he's holding a phone that like is not an iPhone but I could it wasn't a product placement because it wasn't clear enough to see like oh this is like a Samsung Galaxy S7 or whatever it is like I don't know what numbers and letters they use but it was also just like a normal run-of-the-mill like generic phone but it had not been advanced in any way. Didn't even look sleek. Yeah, the Blackberry uh, ripoff. What was it? Oh, let me check because I do have my running list of fake brand names that they come up with. I believe it was a boysenberry. A boysenberry
1: (laughs) instead of a Blackberry, as if anyone is even still using a Blackberry. Number one. Number two, definitely not using it in the future. Number three, who is using Skype? What is this Skype sponsorship that Riverdale (laughs) has gotten? And why did it only get it partway through the season? Because Cheryl uses Zoom in the beginning of the season. And all of a sudden, end of the season, Veronica, almost every episode, is talking to Chadwick on Skype on her mac computer mm-hmm. next to her kavita kombucha
0: <laughs> <laughs> the veronica three fur, which we can just talk about now that was the trifecta of ad product placement it was artful having her kavita kombucha like facing just the right way with her macbook when you looked at her and the cavita kombucha they were both in the same shot so that means I don't know how advertising works, but I assume both brands have to be in cahoots with each other, or at least someone in each company okayed them being presented side by side. They're okay with an association. And then Skype. The product placement this season was really out of hand. It was giving season one, but worse because there were multiple brands and not just like CoverGirl.
1: Also, like asides, like there was that moment where Tony brought in those baby jeans from Old Navy and she set the bag brand side out to the camera and showed them off to the camera (laughs) and talked about Old Navy. And then she wasn't really part of the actual conversation going on.
0: She walks off. She was just there to show off baby overalls or baby jeans or whatever from Old Navy. Also what was the snack food that Smart Pop <laughs> white cheddar popcorn you
1: mean not just the Smart Food white cheddar popcorn that Betty eats there's also the Doritos that Doritos eats.
0: there was tostito scoops yes tostito scoops <laughs> there's core water I'm pretty sure in that scene it was all the firefighters the volunteer firefighters sitting around like make sure to hydrate guys and they're like holding these massive awkward cylinders of branded plastic water bottles chime first comes up in this season it's not the iconic put it on my chime card but Archie's entire plot for chapter 94 basically revolves around getting paid via chime a little bit true a little bit true but also fully true (laughs) because if you think about it Archie was only on screen when he was either working in the mines Or asking to be paid for his work in the mines. Working in the mines is something that he was already doing before that episode. And they just like kind of dropped it. But they brought it back up for the sake of the Chime ad. And she was like, look, I'll pay you a little nugget via Chime. (laughs) And he was like, we're going to need to see regular payments. And she was like, done and done. She being Cheryl, of course.
1: Yes, with the exception of season one a lot of the product placements had more subtle moments up until now there were some that really stuck out to me like kevin with his lg phone what was that <laughs> season three a few yeah. times but You're most right. of them were pretty subtle so to just be suddenly attacked like this was a new level
0: there was also kind of a, a pause on product placements like i have a lot up until like chapter 40 ish And then for 20 episodes until somewhere like in the mid-60s, there are more product placements. And I would say I was being generous with my labeling of product placements. I have like Jonas Brothers, Euphoria, the TV show. Things that they just mentioned by name that were not necessarily product placements. Like they might not have been getting paid for veronica to say like it's like a euphoria episode or something like you know she drops pop culture references left and right and then they start up in vigor (laughs) in like chapter 82 with the doritos
1: that's crazy would you like to hear about some other inconsistencies that i have with season five i would love to some of these things are just things that i find hard to believe some of them are i think real inconsistencies unless you can correct me So number one, in early season five, Tony describes buying the white worm from Hiram.
0: The episode right before, Veronica gifts Pops back to Pop. Right. I think it was briefly mentioned that after they graduated, they no longer had any patrons because they were the primary supporters of Pops. (laughs) No. Um... (laughs) <laughs> I think that's kind of the implication, but not like actually said. Um, or like after they left things changed in Riverdale. And I think the implication is that Pops was struggling once again to maintain the business and so maybe he did go back to Hiram for I think Hiram was like also forcing his protection upon businesses and so maybe he like got re entangled after having his business purchased back for him by like philanthropic teens. But this is all implied? You don't have this as fact? It's not concrete. I think it's just a lot of implication that like, well, shit went south in Riverdale and uh, literally went south to Sodale and maybe Pops re-enlisted Hiram's help and now Hiram owns it again. But then the serpents own it again? Yeah, the serpents, I guess, bought enough money. And she only says that she bought it back from Hiram- like the white worm from Hiram. But does that also include Pops, the diner? Did he just own the downstairs? I thought Pop just owns
1: both of them, unless there's some other kind of agreement, which I don't know that there is. That wouldn't really But make also, sense. Pops is in the family. That's why Tabitha came back.
0: You're right. She's not working for Hiram. Maybe what she meant was that <laughs> she bought back the idea... The equipment and all of like the furniture from the white worm, the original location, and then just moved it to La Banui.
1: None of that was explained. It I... wasn't.
0: I agree. It's an inconsistency. All right. Labeled. Another
1: one. Do you know what happened to Betty's new cat, Toffee? Because last I heard, her buddy from the FBI slash kind of ex boyfriend. Glenn? Yes, Glenn. Was he taking was just care, care of Toffee her
0: for research on her family. What did he do to Toffee? Where is Toffee? Toffee I hope is in the care of a good family because she's Toffee is certainly not in the care of Betty. And maybe Toffee is in the care of Glenn, but not explained. Another mystery.
1: Another thing. I believe it's Tony in the beginning of season five and by beginning of season five i mean the beginning of the seven year jump Mm -hmm. when she's taking archie on this tour of what he's missed of riverdale and she's like everyone moved to sodale and all the rich people live there and they like come into riverdale sometimes but no one lives here anymore and then later we find out sodale is nothing sodale is a muddy patch somewhere outside of riverdale Mm -hmm. that Hiram is fake developing to get investor money to try to get the land the mines are on. The Palladium right. mines, which has been Hiram's plot this whole time, but we haven't heard about it until now.
0: I think, I think you're on to something. Like, Is that confirmed that people moved and are currently living in Sodale or that they were planning to do that? I don't know. Maybe...
1: It wasn't confirmed, but it felt real.
0: I think you're right. I think that was the impression that was given that people were like abandoning Riverdale, moving to other parts of the country, like if they couldn't move to Sodale or whatever, moving to Greendale even. But you're right. I th- And I think that's maybe like an underlying issue that I have with this season is that... They didn't really seem to know what the season was supposed to be about. And that could be because of the forced ending of season four pushed into season five and like not enough time to develop and execute a really good season. But I don't know. I feel like everything that happened in season five was kind of leading up to the hundredth episode, which I cannot wait for. A lot
1: of it did feel like set up for season six. Yeah. Yeah it felt very cut out and glued together in weird spots and it's of my personal opinion that this is the season where Ras has just kind of decided that he wants to put everything he likes in this season including himself include <laughs> including himself for no other reason than he just wanted to
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think he was trying to play with like, what if we just did it just because? For example, didn't the old like version of the Italian place in Sodale used to be Mia's? Yes. And now it's Cucina Sacasa?
1: It's Mia's earlier in the season. Chad suggests to
0: Veronica they go to Mia's. You're right. You're right. And then it changes to Cucina Sacasa. Which we apparently t- has always been there because that's where Hiram first got into like shady mob kind of business. Are we to believe
1: that Riverdale has not only one but two fancy Italian restaurants plus
0: pops? I think we're meant to believe that one is in Sodale. Because in at the beginning... In, in, the, muddy field. in <laughs> the muddy field. In the earlier half of the show, I feel like... There is a heavy implication that Sodale is a town that exists and it is very posh. Maybe it's just a side of Riverdale. Maybe it's like Riverdale downtown, but they're just like calling it Sodale. I don't know. Can't really explain that. However, Cucina Sacasa being, as you said, a second fancy Italian restaurant in this small ass town in the middle of nowhere, um, also being named after R.A.S. R.A.S. himself. He literally inserted himself into the document, and every time I hear the name is my KO moment. (laughs) KO. That's it, it was just the Kuchina Sakasa. Every single time I heard (laughs) Cucina Zakasa was a KO moment. I'm not even kidding. KO, KO, KO. KO, KO, KO. I got knocked the fuck out of this season. So many times because of Kuchina Sakasa. Wow.
1: That really did alter our brain chemistry for sure.
0: It totally did.
1: I have more inconsistencies.
0: Please give me more. I'm living for this.
1: So when all the core four
0: and everyone comes back
1: and they are teaching for Riverdale High School, it's explained that there are no more sports at this school, Mm -hmm. not even football. And yet... Students are wearing varsity jackets. With what varsity sports? Just
0: for vibes? (laughs) They're not even that cute. No. (laughs) They're not stylish. Wow. Speaking of football, you
1: have what we both identified in the moment as a huge inconsistency, which is Jughead saying to Archie, well, as long as you don't bring up the highs and lows of high school football again... Jughead was not
0: there. He was not there in season three in the juvenile hall. No. And nobody who was in the juvenile hall with Archie when he said those infamous words has lived to tell the tale. Well, Mad dog. But Monroe. Monroe. You're right. So sorry, Monroe. He is at. Oh, he went to Notre Dame. But seven years later, I don't think he was in the like field area when he said those words. I don't think so either. I think literally everyone
1: that we remember from there is dead, like Joaquin. Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) He was the last living member to witness that moment
0: at Leopold and Loeb. While we're on the topic of Jughead saying things and recognizing things that he shouldn't really have access to because he wasn't there, he's like on his omniscient shit. At the end of like... The fourth episode of the season, his narration talks about Squeaky and she's like, of course, she won't make it to California. Like, he said that. He said that he knew she wasn't going to make it to California, but then we forget about her. We just drop her from chapter 80 all the way until like chapter 93 when it's discovered that the body that was dismembered is Squeaky's. Jughead does that a lot. I just assumed it
1: was him talking from the future.
0: Maybe I just think it's a it's a little weird. It's a little too omniscient also and then he was teaching um, Slaughterhouse 5 to his students, which the main character he talks about in his like lecture that the main character Billy is a little bit crazy. The main theme is like omnipotence, unreliable narrator type shit. While he's also like going through his own mental health shit, when he- he's doing the least amount of narration of the season, Jughead
1: really was pretty irrelevant this season. He's normally the driver of the plot, or at least the investigator, at least one of the investigators, and in this season, he's kind of just going through his own stuff they on kind the of side. All are they kind of all are and that's kind of the theme of this season is like trauma and suffering in silence. Yeah, repression of mm-hmm. said trauma. They yeah. all have had really horrible violent experiences since graduating. Since graduating, they could have even just kept the regular trauma, but they had to add on to it. Mhm. Of course, you have Archie
0: coming back from war. What war? No idea. It Gave the vibes in all the flashbacks of like World War One in those trenches. But when he came back and talked about it, it sounded very much like the wars of that the adults were fighting in our childhoods, like wars over oil.
1: It sounded very Vietnam like. It kind of did. I really don't know if the whole Archie plot is based on a movie. It might be. Knowing Rass that Probably sounds like is. something he would do. I simply don't watch military movies, and I will not be.
0: Rass, if you're listening, war films? Bruh. <laughs> That's not the way to reach your audience, your target audience. Who is his target audience? <laughs> Rass'
1: target audience is himself. He's making this show to be self-indulgent.
0: You're absolutely right. And you know what? To a point. He had a lot of us with him, but I think he started losing people with this one. (laughs) You think he just started losing people in season (laughs) five? Well, the ratings tanked, I think,
1: mid-season two. I think you're right. But yes, the self-indulgence must really be talked about because what was that Little Shop of Horrors
0: number in POPs? It was so random. That whole episode was very weird. Can we talk about that episode? Mm-hmm. Where is it? I remember <laughs> the amount of times I have the word little and the first time it came up was next to little bitch. Because <laughs> this is also the season of little bitch. Um, it was the return of the pussycats episode. It was so random. The entire
1: return of the Pussycats episode was really crazy. It was a complete interruption of the plot. Someone named Toot Sweet shows up at the end to tell Josie that maybe her dad had been murdered. And Dr. Colonel Jr. is her number one fan.
0: They're- I love the shot of him leading the running fangirls chasing after the bus. I relate it to him so much. And can we
1: talk about the musical numbers spread throughout the season, especially the Pussycats episode, that one song, um, It's All Coming Back to Me Now, Celine Dion, with all of the heel clicking and the hair whooshing during what is supposed to be a sad, sweet part of the song. We're still doing the Heather sound effects. Why?
0: I have no idea. But I also noticed those sound effects and like just the randomness of when she's first seeing and talking to like Melody and Valerie they just like get up and do their performances and then we're just a- meant to assume that they plopped right back down like they happened simultaneously like in this kind of like dream world but they also had all the like clicks and the whooshes and the and the fancy ball gowns through the halls of Riverdale high i know
1: and that's why it's All Coming Back to Me Now by Josie and the Pussycats is my song of the season. It's song of the
0: season. Beca- oh my God. Because of the drama?
1: Because of the drama, the dramatic sound effects over everything. And I just love the ball gowns and the teleportation aspect of it. <laughs> <laughs> and respectfully, Josie, I believe Ashley Murray. commit to the bit. Please respectfully commit to the bit. It was it was lacking in a way that a lot of the other actors, I feel, just really aren't concerned about looking silly anymore. But I really kind of felt like maybe she still does.
0: I think we see that a lot in like Valerie and Melody's performances in that same episode. Um, I'm not sure of the actors names off the top of my head, but the characters, you could tell that they were fully into it. And the actors were, like, giving a 110%. The floor choreography, crazy. They really went off, for sure. hmm Anyway. Are there more inconsistencies? There are. Oh, my God. Can you please just tell me more? Okay.
1: Another one, this is just a little bit hard for me to believe. We just dropped the fact that all Mothman abductions ended in men dying of cancer. We dropped Pop's mothman experience in the diner implying that he's been through some sort of severe trauma he had been repressing at the same age I guess but it's weird that he and Jughead had the had identical experiences
0: I was thinking about this one too thinking about Jughead and I kind of wrote it off as just like yeah I guess he had repressed a lot of shit but the whole like rat king thing all that trauma Could be why Jughead was seeing like the lights and he was obviously drinking excessively. But you're right. I didn't think about Pops also having that same experience and the random other people in the bar because he was working and he was like a teenager when that happened. And there were patrons in Pops that saw the lights and everything. But I don't know. Speaking of Rat King, do you know what a Rat King is?
1: No. It is this phenomenon where rats tails will get all tangled up in each other and you'll have this kind of monster that's like five rats all tied at the tail trying to survive but they're stuck to each other what it's pretty rare but there have been documented circumstances of this and there's also a thing called a squirrel king which is the same thing it happens to squirrels sometimes as well
0: why is this real (laughs) oh my god on the wikipedia page there's one of like it's linked to the wikipedia page but there's one of like 50 rats yeah this is so sad there's an article about a rare rat king found in estonia and someone got it tattooed
1: yeah i've seen a lot of tattoos of these which i think are kind of creepy but you know go off get what you want there's i also- support you actually <laughs> oh, i don't like it <laughs> I don't like it. I just thought maybe that was important and a possible double meaning with the Rat King stuff that Jughead went Mm. through. It's possible. I have another inconsistency. Please tell me. Uh, The Hiram coordinated attacks on Riverdale High School. How? How did he get them to agree to do that? And why did they do it?
0: What do you mean? Like the prisoners? Yeah. Well, I think he promised them an opportunity to escape and probably money And they were probably being really malnourished and treated poorly under Hiram's care because he's a man of money and he's probably willing to cut costs at the prisoner's expense and their comfort's expense, probably willing to feed them gruel for every meal while also expecting them to do manual labor in his mines below and also make drugs because wasn't he also using his prison as like a drug lab? Yes, but I don't know that the prisoners
1: were making the drugs. And I still find it hard to believe that he got all that cooperation.
0: I agree. I think the amount of prisoners that he got to cooperate was a bit excessive. But I would have believed like enough, like up to 10 prisoners, I feel like he could have convinced to break out and get paid and escape. Because if he recaptured them... What was he going to do? Put them back in prison? He could have pretended to. We know that he comes and goes as he pleases from the prison.
1: (laughs) You're right. I guess you're right there. One last one. Please. Betty's voicemail from Jughead. She says it's from two years ago. Jughead on the voicemail mentions something she did seven years ago, not five years ago. So that means... He's either referencing the beginning of the relationship, which it doesn't sound like he is. He's referencing the kiss
0: with Archie, right? Right. Which is something that would have happened five years ago. Although she did kiss Archie in the car that one time. Do you remember? Yeah, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Right. Because they brushed that one off as like probably about to die kind of kiss. A kiss of adrenaline. My point is, the writing this season is sloppy. I agree. Overall, I agree. Sloppy writing this season, a little bit of inconsistencies, a lot of filler. Like, I don't think we needed... I mean, as much as I, like, love and respect the actors who are the Pussycats, Mark Consuelos, Hiram Lodge, I respect the shit out of these characters. And Hiram especially, He's my favorite. I think I wrote that he's like a little bitch villain or something like that or a silly little villain. Um, But we didn't need entire episodes for them. It felt very filler. Like why? What's the point of humanizing Hiram? What's the point of giving Josie a plot if they're not even going to discover it or like explore it in season six? Because in season six, we do not talk about how she went on a hunt to find out if her dad was murdered or not. We don't address that. You're right. I think it's just abandoned, isn't it? It is. I'm pretty sure it's just fully abandoned. And so it's like, what's the point of putting it into this season if it's not going to get picked back up?
1: Is it a setup for a Josie and the Pussycats show?
0: I mean, maybe that's possible. Brass has talked about wanting to do one. It makes me wonder. But in the new era of the CW, are they going to put that in the budget? Probably not. And that's probably why we have that episode here. Hmm, to try to gain interest or, like, proof of concept sort of thing? I think it's just to write something he's always wanted to write. Oh, a consolation prize to maybe never getting his show. Yes. Ugh, but I feel like that drags down the main show that he wanted. It absolutely does. That's why he does this entire season. This whole season.
1: Exactly. What even happened this season? Well, basically... The only main plot is with Polly disappearing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the
0: Mothmen. And then there's the leftover plot of finding the auteur right. from season Right, I still four. count that as last season, it, even though it's the first three episodes of this season. It does feel like last season, yeah. which is another problem with season five. I feel like they could have used the extra time to wrap it up a little better instead of rushing it. But what do I know? I'm just an avid watcher of TV. I don't make it <laughs> <laughs> yet. Who knows? Um, but what do you, you're right. It was just the Polly thing, which it felt a little silly to kill her off. It did, especially if they're just gonna bring her and Jason back from the sweet hereafter next season. And Polly is in a lot of season
1: six. She is actually, and she's even in season five after she dies in flashbacks and memories heavily featured in the musical episode.
0: That musical episode was iconic, I gotta say. Her and Charles, Polly and Charles, put their whole pussy into that performance. The ensemble number
1: with Betty, Charles, and Polly together. Lily ate the musical episode. She carried it on her fucking back. Okay, She really did. Lily, I love you.
0: I'm kind of wondering if she hired somebody... A lot like Troy Bolton, Zephron in in the first High School Musical. But she got, it's possible that she got better because that was definitely her in the earlier seasons. I think she just got
1: better. I think she just trained a lot for it. And a lot of these other actors, to be fair, have also improved a lot. Lily was just a major standout. She was in almost every song as well.
0: You're right. I would, I hate to say it, but (laughs) that number with all three of them, I would probably listen to that version over the Broadway version. And that's totally fair. And that's that feels just as bad as saying like the glee version was better.
1: Can I confess something? Yes. I actually thought about listening to that song on Spotify
0: today. <laughs> 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 and you're so valid for that. My Spotify wrapped is going to be interesting to say the least. Yeah for sure (sighs) should we just talk about betty now that we're on her subject
1: yeah she had the main plot she was the plot driver this season actually
0: yeah she really was but it didn't really feel like it to be fair just because there wasn't a lot happening in her plot a lot of it was just her like i guess i'm gonna stake out the highway dressed in like super cute 70s i'm with the band kind of outfits why do I love Betty's slut outfits? I love them. I wrote, she like slays, like <laughs> pop your pussy, Betty. Like I wrote some like really dramatic, a lot of praise.
1: <laughs> I thought Betty was very entertaining this season. I thought the point where, did you catch this somewhere earlier on? She's looking at her vanity mirror and it's like dark Betty is back. It's mm-hmm. like the opposite of what happened when it went away. Yeah. And she picks up her gun and then she goes out and she leaves trucker boy 69 to die. Yeah. That's a kill. That is her first
0: confirmed kill. No, caramel's the first confirmed kill. <laughs> <laughs> right, The first human kill. But I noticed that too, especially because it was like one of those weird experimental shots where it was like zooming in on her eye, staring at herself in the mirror or something. And she looked really creepy. Like Lily, she ate that shit. there
1: were a lot of creepy shots this season or just like inventive ones a lot of stomping on the camera that happened twice a couple of pov shots yeah the stomping on the camera
0: darla did that to Um, sheriff keller and then
1: betty did it to old man dreyfus
0: oh you're right i forgot about betty doing it um there was also one of like archie leaning over to beat up somebody but it looked like you were about to get beat up by archie because it was kind of like a pov shot from down below you're like watching him come at you,
1: POV. You're about to get beat up by Archie. <laughs> That's what it felt like. POV. Lily stomps on your face. She <laughs> step I, on me. I want her to step on me and kick my face and spit in my mouth. <laughs>
0: I'm sure. I'm sure that like chronically online girlies ate that up respectfully. respectfully with respect with respect because we are those chronically online girlies who ate that up we're here talking about it we're no better than anybody else we have notes (laughs) um what do you think of betty having a kill count
1: i love it for her and she almost had a larger kill count she would have killed that other trucker with the chainsaw
0: the one who's technically her like cousin
1: yeah limb from limb Joint by joint, cauterized the wounds as she goes. It was vicious. And in another one, didn't she another time smack someone's head against a wheel?
0: Yeah. The <laughs> Trucker Boy Sixty Nine. That was Trucker Boy Sixty Nine as well? So. I think that was when she ambushed him to take him to the woods. Before she killed him. Yeah. Before she forgot to send somebody to untie him. She really said if I remember and then she didn't.
1: <laughs> Forgetful queen. <laughs> And, of course, the trauma that Betty endured over the last seven years had Mm -hmm. to do with the TBK killer, which is a reference to the BTK killer, a real serial killer. And it stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. And a lot of what he says is actually, to me, seems like it is based off of the Black Hood, Hmm. the real life btk talks about factor x which he thinks is an inheritable tendency toward killing people very similar to the serial killer genes he leaves a lot of cryptic notes he i believe talks a lot about sin i'm not sure
0: i think you're right i think i read something that a lot of his things were like motivated by sin or like moral judgments
1: I'll have more to say about him next season, but for now, did you notice the shot of him shirtless in his jeans covered in recent scrapes?
0: Yeah. They were like lesions all over his body. Why? I don't know. (laughs) It looked like he got into a fight with Edward Scissorhands. Like, it was weird. But he still had his trash bag on his head. (laughs) You never know when someone might walk in. They... Hunt down and reveal who the trash bag killer is in the next season, right?
1: Yes, and I forgot about that.
0: Okay, I forgot about that too until this moment when I was thinking about is it possible like that the trash bag killer is someone that we've already met, like a character we've already seen? But then I remembered, oh no, it's not.
1: I forgot about the reveal and I was so
0: sure for a minute that TBK was actually Hal. I thought so, too, because we saw him get shot, but we didn't see him, like, die. <laughs> and in Riverdale, a shot to the gut is not a kill shot. It was a shot to the head from oh, Penelope. was it a shot to the head? It, was, thought, it was a kill shot. Oh, she shot. shot him in the foot first. No, I believe Betty
1: shot him in the stomach, and uh, then Penelope shot him in the head. Okay. Is that kind of a half kill for Betty? I, I ultimately gave it to Penelope. Penelope
0: has, like, a 10 kill count now. I would say it doesn't count. I think she failed the test ultimately, which was to kill him. Okay. Um, Let's move on from Betty, unless you have anything else to say. Uh, I have one more thing
1: to say about Betty, and that's about Archie. So Archie's relationships this season are a little bit different than what we've seen before. Normally, Archie is pretty devoted to Veronica, with slight hiccups here and there toward Betty. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of done this reversal where he's more into Betty, but then he stops dating Betty because he thinks maybe there's something with Veronica. And then they barely have anything once the divorce actually goes through, aside from just sexual chemistry. And they break up and he goes back to Betty.
0: You're right. I have some thoughts about that. Barchi is a very interesting pairing for me because it's what we're we were told at the beginning of the show is, like, supposed to happen, right? Like, they're, they're like, supposed to be the pairing. But then we don't see them have a lot of, like, actual chemistry between them. The second Veronica hops on the scene, it's fireworks between them.
1: I don't know. I feel that Barchi does have some intense chemistry. That shower sex scene was very aggressive. And secondly, the... Scene where they are together in a car that Betty is fixing as the auto shop teacher with the Titanic sex moment, the hand on the window, the steaminess inside of there
0: mm-hmm.
1: was my Riverdale rendezvous. Ooey! <laughs> Kiss a <him>, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I
0: like that name for it.
1: The Titanic-themed
0: <laughs> sex scene at work. I like that, too. I appreciated the homage. And I, I agree that they do have some good, like, physical chemistry. For example, the shower scene, where she's like, you need to go get cleaned up. And then she meets him in the shower.
1: They were hitting it raw in there. <laughs>
0: They absolutely were, and that's why it was my So Dale slide.
1: Kiss a boy.
0: Quaffica vino. whip.
1: Really? Yeah. I thought you were gonna give it to Varchi for the divorce sex.
0: No, because we didn't get enough of that. It was just in his little twin-size bed, you know? Am I going to hear about that song later? Um, You can hear about that song now. <laughs> I think the divorce sex was an interesting moment for me, especially just because of the music. It was like an okay scene, but it was one that we've seen before. They burst through the door of his bedroom. Like, they're passionately making out. Whatever. They are clearly about to fuck but the music (laughs) when they burst through the door is baby girl (laughs) it's so dramatic and intense um it was the funniest song I've ever heard I looked it up and the only lyrics I could remember to look it up by um oh yes It wasn't Dance of Death. It was so funny because they just like burst through the door, making out like he might be carrying her or whatever. The song says, baby girl, like it's really loudly. The second, like the beat was perfect. And I wrote, what in the Owl City is this song? I'm losing my mind because the lyrics that kept repeating as they're about to fuck is girl, what turns you on the pages of a book or the elliptical? this is a song by a youtuber that has like 40 something subscribers the video itself only had like 14k likes it was a niche youtuber musician that released this song and it's called the world's best kisser by darwin D's. darwin D's nuts <laughs> and that was my song of the season the world's best kisser. Season. song of the season. You need to listen to this. Like, if you we'll haven't put it heard in. the song. Okay, please, please. It blew my fucking mind. And, like, I was just watching the lyric video, and it's actually a very creative lyric video. It's, like, written out as in, like, lines of code. But it's so weird. It's the weirdest song I've ever heard. Um, it had to win my award. It could have easily been a KO moment for me. But yeah, it was a Varchi scene, which normally I think between Barchi and Varchi, I lean more towards Varchi, just because I think the actors have more chemistry um, and that translates to screen for me. Betty and Archie, I just feel like give me like a little bit brother sister vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like a little bit of a turnoff. That one shower scene was pretty steamy. So that's why they got my Sodale slide.
1: Okay. So for the viewers at home... Here is a sound clip of Ras driving to work to. What's it called?
0: The World's Best Kisser by Darwin Dees. of the couple pairings. Because there isn't much plot-wise we can talk about, we can talk about like the characters and the way that they are in relationships with each other. Another coupling that kind of gives me like brother sister vibes was Tony and Fangs. Oh my gosh. I think officially their name is Tangs, but I would like to call them phony. I will second that motion because it's their relationship is phony as shit it's a relationship of convenience and there's nothing wrong with that to a point but when there's an opportunity for Chony to get back together or for fangs to find literally anybody else shoni shoni you're right officially shoni <laughs> i like johnny like Jonas. <laughs> because the chon is on the floor that's (laughs) why they don't like it the chonies end up on the floor (laughs) no i know i'm so sorry shoni if they could i mean i don't want to give too much away especially when we're talking about relationships it's it's who's going to be endgame is going to be very important for both of our seasons because that's a big component to the show i don't want to reveal too much but i will say i i don't like tangs barchi is great sometimes as in the sodeo slide and the titanic moment was really good i will give you that but sometimes they're just too sibling for me what about
1: cheryl and miss marble the paint minerva the art what
0: is she the art dealer yeah i mean they're both hot they both got kind of like manipulative top energy And I do like that chemistry of them both being like socially atop, but I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But they both like try to strong arm the social dynamic every time that they're on screen together. But I don't know. I guess they didn't get enough screen development for me to like have a hard say.
1: Okay, fair. What about you? I am simply trying to steer this conversation closer to the Blossoms. Is my ulterior motive. Okay,
0: let's talk about the Blossoms. Are you trying to talk about Cheryl? Just
1: the Blossoms.
0: Okay. But yeah,
1: Cheryl for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought it was crazy that the Blossoms had like this secret illegitimate family um, and that they all were psychopathic killers. It's like, does Betty have the Blossom, like the killer serial killer genes because of her connection to the Blossoms?
1: Well, her connection from the Blossoms is through her dad, and her dad does not have the serial killer genes. Could it skip a generation? I don't think so.
0: I think we're going to get a lot of detail about the serial killer genes, the Blossoms, even Jellybean and Jughead, because the shared sibling between Betty and Jughead, literal, like, um, they share a half sibling, which is kind of gross. Charles has the serial killer genes. And Glenn was trying to, like, study and write his dissertation on the serial killer genes within the Cooper family tree. So that leads me to believe that there might be files on her family and, like, all of her relatives and whether or not they have them, including the Blossoms, which makes me very suspicious of Nana Rose and, like, further descendants. Speaking
1: of Nana Rose, can we talk about how she knew about this illegitimate clan of Mothman the entire time? And when people went to go ask her about it, she spun this whole web of lies and stories. And she even gifted Jughead, her cousin Timothy, in a barrel of blossom maple
0: syrup. Can we talk about that? We most certainly can talk about that. Can we also talk about the fact at the end of the season, she tricked Cheryl into reinstating the curse on the descendants of Abigail's murderers? She ma- She gave her that. And she was like, oh, could you just read it so that we could honor our ancestors?
1: She's also the one who encouraged Cheryl to forge paintings yes, for money. Absolutely. She suggested that they literally sacrifice Miss Marble at some point to save the groves that are on fire.
0: hmm What else do you have that she's done? I also have that she tries to sell the groves to Reggie. You're right to get rid of the curse Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: she's also forced upon cheryl she's the one who mentioned it to cheryl and put her into this like seven year spiral of shame into rebuilding the winchester house she brought that shame to cheryl's the forefront of her mind and all these other crazy things and for that reason she's my hbic 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 head bitch in chaos for those reasons, she is also my HVIC.
1: IC Head bitch in chaos. Not us lying to each other earlier.
0: <laughs> I really didn't think that we were going to have the same I one. thought maybe we would. Really? I thought maybe. I mean, it's so obvious. She's manipulating the whole thing. The main plot behind the scenes. She just... Willingly lied to Jughead and Tabitha.
1: She could have saved her
0: own mother of her great grandbabies, <laughs> but she, she chose not to. She chose not to to defend the privacy of her illegitimate cousins, and also probably hide the shame that her late husband. I imagine he's a kill count for her. We don't have proof of that, but I <laughs> just it's just a feeling. Um, <laughs> to hide the shame of having a husband that philanders uh, around the property she'd rather see the mother of her great-grandbabies dead for it yeah do
1: you remember also when the maple grows first caught fire and she blamed it on cheryl for being happy yes
0: she's so (laughs) manipulative why is she such a bitch in her senile era i don't know but i love it and we get a lot of chaos from her in the next season too we
1: do. She may win again.
0: <laughs> Who knows? There's a lot of drama to be had in season six. Season six was a great season, especially because of, like, the whole Rivervale thing. The witchcraft of it all. That's something I noticed when Abigail, and like, the flashback of Abigail being murdered, she cursed the descendants of Betty, Jughead, and Archie in the name of Satan, which... The witches of Sabrina in Greendale also get their power from Satan. They have magic because of him and do his bidding as well as like living their lives in their coven. And the whole coven dynamic is very much giving Roman Catholic Church like in the hierarchy of it all and the prestige and the aesthetics and even some of the punishments for breaking witch law. But it's also more like social hierarchies like governance and stuff like that it's beyond religion and also into like the law of the land but they get their power from satan which made me think that maybe abigail blossom was probably at one point connected to the witches of greendale and was probably in their coven In one of the last parts of Sabrina, I haven't finished watching it all, but I have been deep diving and trying to get more information about the Riverdale world via Sabrina. And it's kind of given me some tidbits. One of them being that there are all these hedge witches that get banished or exiled or um, excommunicated for various reasons. Either they like break some social rule or they could be like breaking witch law, outing themselves or whatever. I don't know. Not worshipping Satan well enough. And so they call them the hedge witches. All of the ones that have lived for hundreds of years in the woods. Off in their own little society. Without a coven, basically. So it's possible that Abigail was excommunicated and is a hedge witch. And that's why her magics have kind of like been diluted over time as we get up until Cheryl.
1: It was very interesting to see Cheryl's ascension into witchhood. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, she starts out as a, what I would describe as an atheist. Yeah. And she gets kind of manipulated into this cult with her mom to worship Jason as this very Jesus figurehead. Mm -hmm. They kind of think of him as someone who died for the sins of Riverdale. Yeah. And they drink from the river (laughs) which is a little nasty but all right the sweet water the holy sweet water river very clever and the thing that cements Cheryl's I think magic is the third miracle she performs the first two are magic tricks that Kevin taught her from watching David Copperfield. <laughs> because, of course, Kevin is in this cult. He is the most brainwashable character there is.
0: I love that Penelope even called him easily swayed or like, what, what did she say? I don't remember exactly. But Sounds she basically right. calls him like easily manipulated. <laughs> She's so real for that. Was she wrong? She was absolutely telling the truth. She was. For the first time in her life. Maybe. <laughs>
1: This was almost my KO moment, the moment where Cheryl has kind of tamed these bees and she casts her mom out of the church and she calls herself in this voice, Queen of the Bees. (laughs) Queen. You're right. She like trembled a lot. And both of her hands, both of her fists
0: are full of bees.
1: (laughs) What else? Oh, we see Cheryl perform a spell at the mines that works
0: you're right we do i'm very curious as to where she gets her magics from because in sabrina like i said they get it from satan and then when they denounce satan they need to like find an alternate source of their power um so that they can keep performing magic and not age as quickly because witches like live for hundreds of years without aging the way mortals do um and she says it's from gaia but i'm wondering if it's from One of the older gods Um, is Gaia. I don't know if Gaia is one of the older gods, but Gaia is basically Mother Earth. And she says Jason is just a conduit that brought her to, you know, like he was just like the vessel for her to get to Gaia. But I'm wondering if there's like something deeper, like maybe she's actually tapped into like these older, more ancient magics, which is something that comes up in Sabrina. Um, I'm going to do a deep dive on Sabrina, um, especially because in Afterlife with Archie, like you mentioned in our first deep dive, the gods of Carcosa are involved and they're supposed to be more fearsome and more intense than the Eldritch terrors, which I'm not really sure what those are. But those were like supposed to be really bad and even older and more ancient than Satan himself, which Christianity is not that old um, as far as religions go. So, yeah, I'm like really wondering if that's going to be part of season seven.
1: I'll be very interested in what you have to say, especially in season six when we do kind of meet Satan, but I think it's a different Satan than the one that is in Sabrina. Also, we have the introduction of angels, but that's season six.
0: Yep. And there's not much else I feel like to discuss in season five. About Cheryl? About Cheryl. Okay. What else do you have to say?
1: Nothing about Cheryl anymore. I just wanted to talk about Nana Rose.
0: And your KO moment of the bees. No,
1: that was almost a KO moment. not oh. so a KO moment.
0: Have we gotten to your KO moment? No,
1: we have not. We need to talk about Archie and Veronica. Please
0: lead the way. Okay.
1: So let's talk about Archie first because he's more boring. Yeah, agreed. So, <laughs> so Archie's plot line is kind of all over the place. He's kind of, as always, the soul of Riverdale. He's taken upon himself to fix the town, basically. And he does this by becoming a firefighter and a miner, and he heads a movement to reincorporate the town. He also goes on a tangent for one episode to take down a dogfighting group, which is clearly very personal to him, as he was kind of dogfighting in a way in Leopold and Low Juvenile Center.
0: That was a really interesting interpretation when you told me as you were watching it. I I didn't think about it in that way, but you're so right. That's exactly what it was.
1: I thought it was too on the nose again. It was giving red circle Target shirts.
0: (laughs) I forgot about the Target shirts. But
1: Archie's plotline this season is very repetitive. It's very stuck in his PTSD... In his experience in the army, being led on this false mission and feeling all this guilt and responsibility for the murder of his platoon. And Archie has historically been a very guilt ridden character with a savior complex. Yeah. So this is no deviation, nothing new, nothing very interesting, except for one line he had, which is not my KO moment but is a line that I think is worth repeating. And it's when he first gets his idea for the fire station, which, by the way, Hiram Lodge burned down. (laughs) The irony. And Hiram Lodge continues to burn down a bunch of buildings. As Earl the Homeless Man says, we haven't had a fire station in years. A lot of buildings burned down because of that. (laughs) Thank you, Earl. Archie's line is, the key is not to fight fire with fire, but fight fire with fire stations.
0: (laughs) How many times can you say fire in a sentence? (laughs) And of course, his delivery has all the charm of composite lumber. As usual, his hair was a little bit worse this season. There were a lot of hot root moments. A lot of like from scene to scene, his hair would be a completely different shade of red.
1: They made it way too red in some episodes. It was like firetruck red and not ginger red.
0: They lost the balance. He was pretty boring this season. I agree. I do think the only thing that was like kind of nuanced or new for him was that he actually won a battle. He always has these like power dynamics with like older men that just like abuse him. Basically, (laughs) just a lot of cycles of abuse from older people that he kind of looks up to starting with Miss Grundy, his relationship with Hiram. When he was like working for him, he was basically a little capo. Um, even the warden was abusing his power over Archie. And then to his commander in the military, leading him on a bad mission and trying to get him to stand down. And Archie was like, not going to stand down, even though he probably wasn't going to win. He fought anyway, um, but he actually did win. And so I think that was a little bit of a turning point in the healing, his trauma healing process. Although this is Riverdale, so he'll probably get into some more trauma in the next season. That was the only newer thing. The only
1: new thing I noticed about Archie was this little tiny moment he had with Veronica where she was recruiting him to help find this geo that had been stolen. And he was already renovating her apartment and doing all this other shit for her. And she had just left to be with Chad in NYC. And he kind of had like a losing his simp moment. And he was like, Veronica, like, get real with me. Like, why do you keep asking me to do all this shit? And I'm getting nothing out of it. Like, you're with Chad over the weekend? I thought that was interesting.
0: You're right. I think he literally says you can't keep stringing me along.
1: He stood up for himself
0: that's what i'm saying like this is a season of him standing up for himself he does have a savior complex and i think that leads him to be manipulated pretty easily by people that have some emotional power over him so yeah i think you're right that wasn't that was a moment that i forgot about um what about veronica
1: oh veronica
0: oh veronica (laughs) veronica was
1: almost my hbic
0: she was the queen of the little bitch
1: yes she called Hiram a little bitch I think she called Chad a little bitch she called Chad a worm she called him scum she called him a beta a born beta a born beta
0: (laughs) as if it wasn't something that he fell into
1: there were a lot of good roasts this season there was an elevation in the roast category for Absolutely. sure and veronica was spearheading most of them she starts off the season kind of tame like flirting with her high school sweetheart wants to divorce her husband who was in a helicopter crash with her that's her trauma mm-hmm. her trauma is also later on revealed from when she overheard Hiram at her quinceañera wishing that she he had had a son and that she was a disappointment yeah thought was a big reveal for her character
0: it really was it's kind of out of nowhere
1: i know it's almost like it was decided afterwards or
0: something you're right because wouldn't she have immediately told archie
1: yeah it seems like veronica has a daddy complex in the way that she finds her lovers Hmm. i thought chad was very much a lot like hiram And so is Reggie in some ways.
0: I agree that Reggie is for sure. Reggie, I think, presented a lot of young Hiram, idealistic Hiram, kind of zealous, like a little bit overzealous about his prospects and all his ideas. Um, And Chad was like already in his successful season Hiram. And Archie is kind of none of those things. Right, which is why
1: I think they didn't click this season. I think you're right. Veronica did a lot of crazy things this season. She made her own currency with her face on it, <laughs> which was the cartoon from the Archie comics, if you yep. saw.
0: The River Bucks.
1: I think it's kind of like how the characters see themselves, their inner world is the comics.
0: Interesting. That's very telling for your season 7. It, or is it? Maybe it is. Maybe it's a false trail. Well, we seem to be giving each other a lot of those around here, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're Veronica and one of
1: Veronica's enemies <laughs> doing a dance of death.
0: Sin amigos en vida, sin amigos en muerto. I wrote that Muerte. as one of my roasts. It was really crazy. Hiram. Yeah. For any
1: viewers at home that don't speak Spanish, that is without friends in life, without friends in death. Which is basically live alone, die alone. Veronica also kidnaps her dad, handcuffs him to a chair in his own office. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yep, that's right. The scene where she's confronting him, I don't know if you noticed, but the camera is pretty much always panning around in a circle around her dramatically for like the entire scene. It's just circling her as she makes this monologue about the quinceañera and how he's always wanted to kill Archie, but he's never been successful. Which, by the way, why does Hiram want to kill Archie at this point? Because previously, I thought Hiram wanted to kill Archie because of the betrayal. It was revenge for Archie breaking into the office and threatening Hiram. Yeah. And there was also a little bit at the very, very beginning of the season, which is seven years ago now, Hiram threatening Archie for like breaking Veronica's heart. But that was seven years ago, and she's married now. So I don't understand why he still wants to kill Archie.
0: I think he wants more revenge on Veronica than he does on Archie, but he still sees Archie as, like, her weakness. And so maybe he's like, if I hurt Archie, it'll hurt Veronica more than it'll hurt anybody else. Because I was thinking about this, too. I was like, why is he still, after they're already broken up, for seven years, and she's married and supposedly like happy and has her own separate life in New York City. Why is he still obsessed with her high school boyfriend? It's just so that he can explode yet another place. He loves to have little bombs. He loves an explosion. He loves an explosion. He loves a fire. He loves arson. <laughs> Anything that would lead to something burning down, whether that be a bomb, gasoline. Uh who knows. Bomb them. Bomb, Bomb everyone. Air strikes. <laughs> Bomb them. Keep bombing them. <laughs> the lady from season 1 of The Last of Us. Bomb. <laughs> That's literally Hiram. It's literally Hiram except she was justified.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. And another crazy thing that Veronica does this season is she gets her first kill. Her own husband.
0: Ex-husband at this point, I believe? Ex-husband. I think as of, like, a couple of days, he angrily, like, yeah. Right. Retaliation.
1: Yes. He breaks into her home at the Pembroke. Veronica hears him. She asks her voice assistant, Pippi, to turn off all the lights and to play Wagner, which (laughs) is um, Flight of the Valkyries, which is classical fight music. Mm -hmm. She chooses her own fight music with a voice assistant, which makes me believe that maybe they tried to get an Alexa sponsorship here and failed. Interesting. And the fight that ensues in the dark with the fight music playing, and then Smithers comes in after the gunshot, and he asks Pippi to turn all the lights on and turn the music off. And there we have Chad dead on the floor the gun in Veronica's hand. And Veronica, I think specifically Veronica putting on her own fight music with the voice assistant was my KO moment.
0: (laughs) KO. That's so funny. The fact that she was just like, okay, this moment, this is the one that needs... That's pretty funny. I hadn't thought about the show trying to get a sponsorship and failing, but you're probably right because that was an important part of the scene. They could have set it up in a very different way. But this is, that's what they chose.
1: This is a literal meme that happened a few years ago. Do you remember where people would set up their Alexis to be in like a burglar alarm setting and they would make their Alexis say all these crazy things and in some cases would play dramatic fight music or make all the lights red or do something to scare an intruder?
0: I don't remember that.
1: This is an entire meme category.
0: Oh my god. So they were hopping on a trend a la like Harlem Shake or something.
1: But what I think at this point was already a five-year-old trend.
0: They couldn't even do something more relevant. That's so funny. I'm still caught. I'm sorry. I'm still (laughs) caught on them trying to get a specific sponsorship, writing a scene for it, and then not editing the scene after they failed to get the sponsorship.
1: Amazon said no. That's why we have Glamazon. (laughs) Yes.
0: But even like Google said, no, even like anybody else, like there are other versions of smart home devices and they couldn't, they couldn't get one of them. The amount of sponsorships this season really makes me think that they are like broke. Like maybe they were really running low on funds now that the actors are becoming more like big time celebrities, like doing their own side projects and movies and stuff. And then after the pandemic, they probably ran out of their funding, like they couldn't make enough return on it because nobody was watching this show anymore (laughs) um (laughs) and they couldn't even get another sponsorship that makes me so sad i love riverdale i want them to be able to be successful but they're just not (laughs) although this season was to be fair a little something it was
1: do you have anything else to say about veronica
0: did you hear that My nostril. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Nothing about Veronica specifically. I think this this season sort of lacked overall in the character development department. They were kind of just stuck in the same routine of like their traumas without expanding or coming to any sort of conclusion about them.
1: I agree. And I think one of the biggest faults of this season and granted this problem does happen in other seasons but it feels like there was no significant crossover of plot lines Mm -hmm. and normally there's at least a little bit of one
0: yeah so for chapter 89 speaking of like the crossing over of plots I did like something a little bit different with my notes Instead of just writing down what happens in each scene and like what's overall going on and like my thoughts on those things, I made my notes centered around when they cut to different scenes and different plots. Um, I counted four overall plots labeled plot A, B, C, and D. Only plots B and C, I think it was, which is Betty's plot with Tabitha and searching the lonely highway and Cheryl's plot, which is proselytizing Kevin and doing the magic tricks and stuff they merge briefly when kevin is like having a crisis of faith and cheryl's like okay well maybe doing something fun and going out tonight will like get things off your mind and give you some you know whatever um and then they intercept a little bit for the trap that they set for the truckers basically but that was the only interception of plot lines out of 30 cuts between four plots there was one brief interception And that just felt like so detached, like the characters were not intermingling that much. And when they did, it was not very emotionally engaging. It was just a task more than anything.
1: And it's understandable because there's been such a long gap between any of these characters seeing each other. But the result of that is that they are so disconnected.
0: Right. We didn't get to see enough of them like reconnecting. And rebuilding those relationships. That's why it was so hard for me to believe Barchi immediately had that much chemistry still, you know? It was a bit weird. It
1: was Barchi and then Varchi, and then back to Barchi. But there was also huge gaps in between there. Yeah. Archie had this weird thing where he was like, actually, I don't want to be with you until you have the divorce papers in your hand. It's like, Archie, that could take some years.
0: Yeah divorces are not that quick and it did take at least a month or two and that was
1: only because she had evidence that he had tried to kill archie yeah chad did
0: exactly if he hadn't tried to kill him she wouldn't have been able to get the divorce that quickly another deus ex machina type beat for this season was tabitha sitting jughead and betty down in like the third to last episode being like okay You guys are the dream team. Solve it once and for all. And then having them solve the mystery in an episode. The characters, I think, should have come together more organically. And maybe they're setting it up so that Tabitha is like the guardian angel of Riverdale trying to like get things on the right path or whatever. But like it just didn't feel right for the characters to come together because someone else sat them down and was like, I've been involved in both of your plots individually. Now it's time to merge your plots. It just felt too forced. Exactly. Another
1: thing that felt forced was the use of music in this season. It was no longer limited to the musical episode or to Le Bon oui or The White Worm. I feel that this is the first season where we really just break into song randomly. Yeah. Outside of the musical episode. You're right. Sometimes for no reason.
0: Little Shop of Horrors, all of the songs that they sing in church, Jesus Christ Superstar. The little shop of horror ones really gets
1: me because I know that Rass wanted to use that as the school musical previously. It was Did they
0: just not get the rights.
1: I don't know why they didn't do it. They should have. They should have, but they didn't. Hmm. And I think that was him lamenting that loss, refusing to let it go. Like maybe it's the Josie and the Pussycats show not getting its proper send off. Right. Or maybe it will. You never know. Only time will tell. There were also a lot of references in this season that made me think that he wasn't sure which musical he was going to do. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of Orpheus and Eurydice references. There was a literal mine in this season. I thought maybe he was thinking about Town.
0: Yeah. Could have been that.
1: Maybe it's too new of a musical though. Uh, but next to normal is pretty new. And there's also a lot of mention of things that happened in the last five years instead of the last seven. A lot of pivotal moments happen at the two years after graduation mark. Yeah. Which made me think maybe we're doing the last five years. Uh Uh-huh. And which would have been great, I think.
0: I think it would have been really good, especially if they had gone in a route like narratively that allowed the characters to rediscover each other without outside interference i think the last five years would have been a great means for them to like become emotionally vulnerable with each other again Mm -hmm. the
1: plot with the author that kind of loses himself yeah is that not jughead
0: it come on
1: and this is a small one but they did say tick tick boom a couple (laughs) times in the
0: last episode yeah that was the last (laughs) sentence of this season it was tick
1: and that's also a musical Ooh. about like coming into adulthood yeah and letting go of dreams and <clears throat> finding new ones and relationships that are failed and yeah it would also thematically would have been an appropriate choice
0: you're so right it still would be i think in season six which obviously they didn't do it but maybe it was too relevant <laughs> like there was also a movie soundtrack to compete with and any final thoughts about this season? I think my final thoughts are just what
1: I keep I keep coming back to, which is just this is ras being self-indulgent this season at the cost of unfortunately of the writing, of the character development, of the music even. And a lot of these actors have worked hard. I can tell that there could have been a lot more good songs in this season.
0: Even Jughead was sounding better. Was he? <laughs> I think he realized since last season and this season that he's got some potential in the belting zone. He can't do like a softer voice because he he's too vibrato-y. He's got to like just hold a strong, hard note. And I think he's kind of realizing that by this point. And so he had more moments in his song where he was like belting rather than talk singing. So I think he's done some improvement. Not enough, but some. So props for the work. (laughs) And I
1: think the last thing I want to say about the season is this finale was the worst one I've seen so far. For a Riverdale finale, I feel like it really underperformed I feel like it was cut horribly. There were a lot of scenes where loud music would be playing and then it would suddenly stop. It wouldn't fade into a new scene like it normally would. There was no artisticness to it. It felt like an episode that maybe was brought to someone that was two hours long and they said cut it to 40 minutes and that's what they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There was a lot of jumping around. It was very hard. They didn't smooth out the edges if it hit the chopping block. They cut it down and didn't they didn't buff it. Oh, um, we didn't
1: really talk about Jughead.
0: Is there much to say about him? I mean, he's kind of <laughs> gone through this wildly, like, deeply rooted trauma of his writing, his inadequacy. He dropped out of school. He was supposed to be the first Jones to graduate college, but he didn't. He's probably like dealing with a lot emotionally, Um, you know, the success of his book and then the failure to create another thing. And also falling in the sinkhole
1: into the rats of the sewer of New York (laughs) for several days. How did he write the Rat King story in the margins of a dark sewer?
0: He probably had a pen in his pocket, but I'm not sure how he saw it. It's possible through, the, like, the, the holes of the manhole cover. You know how they have, like, little drill holes, I think? Yeah. Jughead went through a lot.
1: Ghost Betty leading him out of the sewers was almost a KO moment for me.
0: Ghost Betty in the bunker. Oh. High school Ghost Betty begging for forgiveness with her high ponytail and then leading him to bed and then turning into a mothman. Was almost a KO moment for me. The ponytail playmate, type <laughs> yeah, exactly, <seat. laughs> exactly. It felt very like hypersexualized in like a weird submissive and breedable kind of way, and that made me never want to root for Bughead again, just because of how submissive and breedable they, pr- they, his subconscious portrayed her as. I was like, ew, Jughead. I also didn't love Jackhead and Tabitha this
1: season because it felt like Tabitha was just there to save him. Yeah. It felt very unequal. I agree with her dad. She is out of his league.
0: Absolutely. Like, he has got to get his shit together, but it doesn't have to be her responsibility. And I think it really seems like she took it upon herself to, like, fix it. She has a savior complex. Her and Archie... I would be interested to see that because they both have a savior complex and I think that they could find some sanctuary in each other. They don't have to fix the other person. I agree and I think the whole dynamic between Tabitha and Jughead is very unequal. Most of the time we even see her in a waitress, like a serving uniform and they're on opposite sides of the counter a lot of the time where like she's serving him. And even though he's also in uniform at Pops, he's sitting at the counter and she's pouring him a cup of coffee. It's very much like she's tending to his needs, even though they have the illusion of an equal relationship. And there's no romance. It's very quickly just him being like, oh, you're kind of hot. You want to like hook up maybe? Like, uh, I could like you to being like her pretending he's her boyfriend to her family. And then them just being like, are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Okay. It felt very situation-based, the same way that Fangs and Tony feels. I don't know. Is there
1: anything else you want to talk about this season?
0: No. <laughs> I think I've said everything in my notes and more. I feel like I always end up being able to say a lot more than I intended to. What about you? Um, I would just
1: like to wrap it up with updated body counts, word counts. Oh, yeah. Things of that nature.
0: Cool. Let's do it. What's your word count? My word count. Wow. (laughs) This is the most words I've ever written. So I'm at 185 pages and at 66,172 words.
1: I'm at 115 pages and 70,501 words.
0: How do you have 4,000 more words than I do?
1: I don't know.
0: I feel like every time we watch... I'm just like constantly typing and I look over and you're just taking breaks. <laughs> I know. I think, maybe, am I a faster typer? You probably, you have to be. There's no other explanation for this. There's no other reason. Maybe I spend more time doing formatting things too. Because I would say that mine is a much more neat and orderly document. No offense. Mine will get there. I think it will, but right now you're just, you are just—you seem to like type all your notes in like a big paragraph and mine are like very... I have mine spaced out a lot and I think that changes format-wise. But anyway, what counters do you have to update?
1: So I have to update our dead body count, mm-hmm. kill count, if you will. So the first update is Veronica's first kill, Chadwick. Congratulations, Veronica. Wow. RIP Chadwick. will he be missed no tbk has been introduced he is of course a serial killer but i do not have specific numbers or names all i have is Teresa. so technically tbk is at
0: one welcome to the kill board tbk (laughs) you've got a long way to go before you reach the prolific penelope blossom i'm sure who is in the lead that's my guess
1: Hermosa is on the list now. How many people do you think Hermosa killed?
0: I think she killed the four people who were ambushing Veronica.
1: It was three. Oh. The remaining Malloys.
0: The remaining Molloys.
1: Did Charles get arrested at the beginning of the season? He did, right? He did. So Charles is now on the board. He is also an implied serial killer with many over the course of a career. But confirmed kills, we only have Brett, Joan, and David from the Blue Velvet store.
0: Right. Give it up Blue Velvet. David Litch,
1: if you will. But he now has three question mark. She has Caramel. She has Chick? Question mark? We don't know what happened to Chick. She stabbed him, and we got no status report. She also shot Charles, but we got a status report that he was stable in the hospital. You're right. And then we
0: see him next season, too. Yes. And she also stabbed Glenn. They all survived. She almost did a triple kill. She said that she stabbed Glenn so that he would survive on purpose. She was like, if I was a centimeter, like an inch to the left, you would be dead."
1: You think Betty knows that much about anatomy?
0: She claims to. Okay. I think delusions of grandeur are probably something serial killers experience at high rates. Okay, fair.
1: Penelope is at 10 now. 10 confirmed kills. Again. Queen notable serial killer many over the course of a career she added the rest of her family to this list after already killing clifford claudius and hal which are all technically well i guess hal's not a family member is he no he's not
0: he was her not former by blood. lover
1: not by blood not by blood
0: <laughs> technically a blossom but she's not a blossom by blood
1: and she also has daryl doily and principal featherhead right Hiram killed Jinx Molloy. Was that last season?
0: That was last season.
1: Okay. I think that's it for new kills. Of course, aside from the illegitimate Clan of Blossoms, which Mm -hmm. was uncountable for obvious reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have an update to my defenestration count. There were two that happened in season five. Both were non-lethal and both happened in the same scene. I don't remember which episode. They are both unnamed characters. Um, So it's unnamed ghoulie number one, non-lethal. Unnamed ghoulie number two, also non-lethal. Were both thrown out of or jumped out of windows during the raid that Archie and friends did on his house to reclaim it from the bad tenants, the ghoulies. That's my updated count.
1: I realized I also need to update my defiling dead bodies count. And I thought originally there were no dead bodies defiled. Except for Nana Rose happening upon cousin Timmy dead in the woods and stuffing him in a jar of maple syrup and mailing that jar of maple syrup to Jughead and Tabitha. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's a defiling dead body count.
0: I would say that's a double defiling the initial packaging of his body in maple syrup and then the shipping of his defiled and packaged body
1: what made her decide to do that
0: i don't, one can only imagine the happenings in the mind of miss rose blossom what about the defiling of the body of squeaky No, that's
1: more complicated because, again, that's the clan of illegitimate blossoms who have been killing women for many years, many generations.
0: We do know one of their names.
1: Okay, well, if I include the ones we know the names of, it's still going to take me a while because I think there were, like, five-ish bodies that were recovered
0: on the lonely highway. Fair.
1: A bunch of them in Swedlow Swamp.
0: That's true. Oh, yeah. You're right. There were a lot of people. Um squeaky specifically was dismembered and i feel like that's a big defiling and then the bodies of the the guy who bit off his tongue was stolen i'd count that as a defiling this is just me though i don't i know you have your own system of like accuracy of who did the defiling you have you have a system don't you I can go
1: back and look at it, but it's going to be a lot of pausing the screen and counting photos (laughs) and et cetera. I am mostly keeping track of main characters and people with names.
0: Okay. That's valid. That's fair. You... I do not expect you to go back and do that work. I feel like overall, it's not going to impact season seven very much. Season seven is the target. It's the red circle, if you will. We got to keep our eye on it, so...
1: I think also defiling dead bodies is more so in the spirit of, I haven't killed this person, but I'm still not going to do the right thing right
0: now. Yeah. To what degree does Dr. Colonel Jr. defile dead bodies? Because there are definitely times where he holds on to a corpse, brings them back out for autopsies that are not court-ordered. Not sanctioned, I should say. I'm not sure he is
1: kind of the body defiler that's kind of his job title but
0: he betty gives him good money to defile bodies on her behalf that's true that's also for investigative purposes
1: it's not cheryl carrying around jason in a wheelchair
0: that's true it's not fp putting a teenage boy in a freezer and then dumping him in the river yes you're right you're right
1: i seed i have to draw the line somewhere in riverdale (laughs)
0: Do you have another counter to update no well thanks for joining us here at the riverdale writers room we didn't uncover much but it sure was fun this season is it your least favorite i think this is my least favorite season so far me too i
1: think unfortunately i'll have to disagree with my past self at the beginning of this podcast and sadly we're gonna rate this one pretty low
0: what do you mean disagree with your previous podcast self
1: Well, earlier in the episode, I was like,
0: what a season. Oh, yeah, well, they're kind of all great. (laughs) Listen, you're dealing with the Gargoyle King. You're going up against, like, a murderer at the high school musical pinning a teenager to the wall. Like, you're dealing with an organ harvesting cult. You're going up against some pretty big hitters. It's not a, a real loss to be number five out of five. You're still in a list of winners. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Just being the worst of the best is not being the worst. (laughs) 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 However, it's the most positive spin I can give to season five. Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social media platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale or just want to say hi, email us at Riverdalewriterspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. TTFN!